This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Our goal each week on Money Talks is to answer your personal finance questions, so Ryder and Nancy are ready to do so this morning. Between your phone calls, though, today we're going to be talking about the credit card. I'll bet that uh, many of us have at least one or more in our wallet or purse, and used correctly, they can be a useful tool for managing your money. Uh, We're going to talk today about some basic credit card terminology and discuss benefits and risks of using credit. And as I said, Nancy and Ryder are always ready to help you with your personal finance question. You can always email the show as well by sending it to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Ryder. Let's give you first crack at financial news in the news. Oh, good morning. So uh, speaking of credit cards, uh, household credit card balances have been in the news a lot recently. We have talked about them some recently, but I wanted to pull up some more info. Uh, So firstly, we have credit cards. You have a total amount of money you can spend on it, and you have the amount you have spent on it. And uh, Americans, this is not the most recent data, but we still have plenty of room to spend on our credit cards. So when we're worried about, oh, we're maxing out our credit cards, uh, technically, no, we're not, actually. Let's go shopping. <laughs> uh, we still, we, we've got money available to yeah. go shopping. Um, so uh, so that that that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is Americans are still, more Americans are paying their balance in full, uh, really, I'm not going to say than ever before, because the rate was in 2021, people were paying their balance in full a little bit more. But only uh, less than a third of folks are paying either the minimum or paying uh, less than the minimum. Oh, that's good news. Not less than the the full balance. Um, So some changes that happened recently, the amount of people just paying the minimum has ticked up a little bit, but that's only 8.5% of folks. And the amount of people paying uh, less than the full balance, but more than the minimum, that's ticked down a little bit. But overall, it's still a lot less than even uh, before 2020. So I kind of look, you know, kind of go back to that to see what was normal behavior. So that uh, combined with the lower interest rates, the fact that there was a ton of refinancing while re- of, of mortgages, mm, yeah. of course, that's different than consumer debt. Um, but while there's a ton of refinancing, uh, while rates were so low and, and just a reticence to take on new debt while rates are really high for the past year, uh, financially, households, as far as their debt goes, are, are a lot of folks are in pretty good shape. Their overall payments, uh, that's interest and principal, as a percent of their income is down. It's only at about 9.5% or 9.57%, which is down from about 10% uh, prior to 2020. And and prior to 2020, that was a very low level. I mean, historically, this number has just been a lot higher than that. So, um I, as, there's a lot going on, but but households are we're, we're hanging on right now. Is so what we shouldn't worry like. at all. Um, I've been worried. We, <laughs> you should always have a little bit of uh, worry. You should always have a little bit of concern about things getting worse. And like I said, uh, the the number of folks only being able to pay the minimum has ticked up. Uh, of course, the interest rates rising means that people 
are spending a little bit more than they were yesterday on their debt service. So those trends are what we need to keep a careful eye on. But if you just think just objectively what's the situation, it does look better than a few years ago, but that does not mean it can't get worse. Any speculation as to what caused the change in behavior? Well, I, I, th- I think a big part of it on uh, really on consumer and mortgage side was the low rates. People were able to refinance, do cash out refinances, pay down debt. Uh, a lot of in, in during the early days of the pandemic, when there's a lot of cash assistance going out, people did pay down their their debts a lot. And that's one reason why the headlines are a little bit alarming. They're saying, oh, credit card balances are rising so quickly. Yes, but they fell so quickly just two years ago. But, they but really we were just, at home. We were we, home. We weren't doing anything. Well, first first thing we did was we took that cash and we paid down our credit cards. Yes. And then we were like, oh, my goodness, we have so much money on our credit cards. And then we why ordered we, from Amazon. Why, why don't we buy something? Yeah. So so it bounced back. It's, it's kind of, again... The situation is a little bit better, of course, with higher prices. People feel that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the situation is a little bit better, but again, the trend—it just—we just have to watch how far does it go. Do people are people enjoying this good situation too much and racking up too much? It, it, I would say not yet. Doesn't look like yet, but they certainly can't overshoot. Um, and speaking from personal experience, when you do pay off a large credit card debt, it's easier, obviously, to not build one back up because if you've learned right, anything absolutely. during that time, Hopefully, you know, yeah. you've got more wiggle room. Well, so. yeah. And, and, and just on credit cards, we've talked about rates you have on credit cards. Having any balance at all, the rate just adds so much interest. That is just such a burden. So getting that down to zero is just a great fresh start. Uh, Nancy, what uh, caught your mind or your eye this week, financially speaking? Well, I had a really good conversation in the last couple of days with someone who had questions about inflation and CPI, the Consumer Price Index. And this is a person who has uh, some input and um, responsibility in a nonprofit for setting salaries. And, and you know, if, if you're looking at a decline in revenue, and some businesses are experiencing that, how do you award raises that account for the increase in prices so your employees aren't going backwards? And so I could talk to this person about, well, you know, the CPI, which was 8.7% last year, and certainly Social Security recipients got that nice big bump, and that was wonderful. But that is just an average number, and it's not the same for everybody. Um, So about, I think, Ryder, you said maybe a third of the CPI is housing. Something like that. Yeah. And that's not just the payment on the house, but all kinds of things Mm -hmm. related to housing. And so different people are going to experience that differently. So he just talked about people refinancing their house Mm -hmm. at a lower rate. A lot of the people we work with have paid off their house. So that's not even part of their equation. And um, But that is different than someone who is renting. So if you've got some people in your organization who are renting, then certainly they've probably experienced higher rents. 
so higher housing prices. So how do you lean on that to make sure that people still hold on to the value of that salary? It's a really difficult thing to look at. And uh, I think what most organizations do is they just slap on, well, that's the CPI, and that's going to apl- what I'm going to apply to everyone. But with smaller organizations with limits in your um, capacity to pay, then people are starting to look more closely about what's reasonable and how do I reward people and get them to stay with me and not see them go backwards in their salary. This is Money Talks. We've got some open phone lines. And again, we always look for your personal finance questions this morning. To fill the time between your calls today, we are talking about the credit card. So, uh, Nancy, let's start with the very basics. What is a credit card and how does it differ from a debit card? Well, it's a loan. And so anytime you plunk down that credit card, you are borrowing money. So I would say to you, Kevin, do you ever borrow money? Let's say you're going to buy a car without looking at the agreement. What is the interest rate? What are the terms? What happens if I don't pay on time before you sign on the dotted line? You shouldn't. But when we open a credit card account, that is exactly what we are doing. We are agreeing to this set of terms. And most people just, you know, scroll down and go, yeah, I agree. It's it's good, good, good. I don't read all of the details. But those details say how this account will work. For most credit cards, that interest rate is variable. That means it's going to increase in a rising interest rate environment. And that's what we've seen over the last couple Mm -hmm. of years. Average rates have been about 15% just a few years ago. They're easing closer to 19% right now. That's a huge chunk. And what happens if you don't pay on time? All of that. Um, So that means you're not losing that money up front. But you are taking out a loan, and you're going to be responsible to pay back that loan based on the terms of the credit card account. Are there any fixed rate cards out there anymore? Um, Possibly. And some of them might be fixed for uh, a certain period of time. They will say Mm -hmm. maybe for this year or this six-month period of time, it will be fixed. Now, the difference between that and a debit card, when you plunk down that debit card, that money immediately comes out of your bank account. It's not like you're delaying payment. You immediately lose that money. And uh, if there's a problem, if somebody is using your card and you have some identity issues, it's harder with a debit card to get that money replaced in your bank account with a credit card you can just say i'm sorry that wasn't me and that's a great point and we can't talk about credit cards without me saying one very important facet of a credit card that really from which everything else comes is that you are spending someone else's money yeah with a debit card you swipe that that's your money your account comes right out it's just like spending cash except you're having to tell someone your bank account number for them to get it With a credit card, you are spending somebody else's money. If Kevin issues me a credit card, I can go to Nancy's store, swipe it. Kevin pays Nancy, and a month later, he knocks on my door and says, hey, you owe me $20. You have 15 days to pay it. And I have 15 days to show up at Kevin's house with the money. And if I don't or if I had an unsatisfactory experience, I would say, Kevin, actually, Nancy's store, she she never delivered the product. It never came or she lied about the product. I don't want to pay for that. And Kevin will say, hmm. Well, I'll just go and bully Nancy about it. And it's not my problem anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So that's a really important facet from which everything else stems. And you did ask about fixed rate cards. So one interesting aspect I've seen recently. Some cards will have 
a you you can do a plan or a payment plan for specific purchases, or you can even uh, I think you can do a payment plan for maybe your entire balance. Uh, if you have good credit, this may be a way to actually lower the interest cost. If you you, know, you do get in a bind and you rack up some charges that you can't pay off all at once, uh, or it's just a very large expense and you think, oh, I want to pay that over time because a lot of these buy now pay later things you see it <laughs> online. That's a lot more popular. Credit cards are trying to get back into the game there and make sure that they're competing. So those often do lower your overall interest for just a fixed, uh, usually a fixed dollar rate. So that does, for large expenses, uh, you can get a little bit of predictability there. So kind of avoiding some of that variable. I'm going to challenge people out there who are listening. uh, If you have credit cards, and most people do, to go and find out, first of all, what is the interest rate that is currently being charged on that card? Most people cannot tell you that. And certainly, mm. if you are allowing a balance to roll over, being a revolving debt, um, you need to know what is the interest rate that you're paying. You also need to know what is the late charge. Mm. I mean, those can be pretty big. Yeah. I mean, I've seen them, you know. Anywhere from $25 to $50 for a late charge. This ain't Blockbuster anymore, no. folks. And what is that time frame? You know, a lot of credit card companies play little tricks. Instead of it being mm-hmm. a month, it may be a 25-day billing cycle. And mm-hmm. so if you don't make that billing cycle, you're not only going to have that big late charge, you're also going to have interest being hit. Uh, on that account. So go and find that information and make sure you understand. For most people, when they find that interest rate, their eyes pop. They cannot believe what they're paying. Are we going to Are we gonna offer a prize to the person who calls in with the highest interest rate? Because <laughs> oh, I've got golly. a really good idea. The prize is going to be some sound financial advice, which is make sure it's paid off. Yeah, I've seen 30%. Wow. You're listening to Money Talks. To hear past shows, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, and you can listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Between your personal finance uh, questions this morning, we're talking about credit cards, but we do have a couple of callers on the line. Chris, we'll get to your call in just a minute, but as promised, first we talk with Scott from Jackson. Scott, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, I also want to talk to uh, one thing as a parent, something we should do, I do with my children. Um, my daughters are younger, about maybe 13 or 14. I added them as an authorized user to my credit card account. And when they got older, they already had credit established, you know, um, that's the only way to help kids establish credit by adding them to your account. Uh, my youngest daughter, she she's well, she between five next week, but um, she purchased a home two years ago, her first home, at 1.9% interest rate, wow. 15-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really had no other credit, but by me adding her to my 10 years old, all those years about her credit report is several years of good credit, good penny history, she'd be able to get, get into a home at 1.9%. So that's one thing we can do. Of course, if you have bad payment history, you wouldn't want to do that to them. But uh, it basically helps her out, you know, in life. So, and I did it for both my daughters, basically, and uh, basically it helped them in life. Well, yeah, I, I mean, share. that is certainly one thing you can do. I don't know that I would do it for a thirteen or fourteen year old. You know, maybe when they get to be a senior in high school. 
And uh, that's typical for parents if they they start them with a credit card. It is going to be under the parent's credit and the parent's signature. Mm-hmm. But then that child will be on the card. That's typical to send them off to, to school because they need some sort of card. And, yes, you can build credit like that way. But I would be careful about starting it too young. Um, well, I, I didn't actually give them a card. No, they never did get the card, but mm-hmm. for the for the credit building purpose. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so gotcha. Sure. Yeah. Sure. They never, ever, 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 even when they older, got the physical card. <laughs> sure. <laughs> just, just for the credit. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yes and but, um, you know. I would point out as well, you know, just as if not more important than uh, just the authorization on your car to have, so they will start building a credit report because that, that's often people's challenge, right? Is is saying, well, okay, how do I establish right, credit yeah. without ever having gotten credit before? If I need credit to get credit, that's a very big conundrum, and you crack the code for your children, and that's fantastic. But also education, uh, your children need to know if they come out of college with a great credit score, they can do a lot of stuff with that. Uh, good and bad. Um, they can get credit cards on their own and rack up a lot of uh, a lot of charges that they can't pay back on their own because their credit is so good. And also, just another risk, and, and you mitigated some of this by not actually giving them a car, but depending on, different companies do it different ways, but sometimes an authorized user is, they are equally as liable for that payment as you. So that means that, as you pointed out, your good credit benefited them, but if you had bad credit, it would draw back on them, and you don't know. I mean, we don't know. Over the next year, two years, five years, are we going to miss a payment? Are we going to lose a job and not be able to cover our credit card? So always be very careful with that, and uh, like I said, the, the education component, making sure your children understand about money, how to earn money, how to pay off their debts, how you know, how the credit system works. Those are very important aspects. So I, I think for a, you know, adding a child as an authorized user, as long as you know, kind of going in with open eyes about it is can be a good idea. Uh, I just do want the broader audience to kind of know what, what are the risks there and what are other, other things you could run into. All right, Scott. They don't listen. They don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they don't listen, I don't know if I'd want to add them to my credit card because not only could they rack up a debt on it, I could rack up a debt and make them. They could rack up a debt and make me responsible for it, and they could rack. I could rack up a debt and make them responsible for it. So that's 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 the fire you're playing with. All right, Scott, thanks for your call. Glad to see that it worked out for you. It is a good idea in, in the right circumstances. Uh, I would say, uh, at Ryder, the education piece that goes along with it is important. You know, maybe even share that statement as it comes each month with the, the authorized user to let them understand how the whole system works. Yeah, have them listen to Money Talks on MPB Tuesday mornings at 9 <laughs> Yeah, a.m. but wouldn't you be afraid that they call the credit card companies and say, ah, I, I lost, lost my, my card, yeah, I, mean, I need a new car. Now, see, Nancy, there you are that's giving the teenagers. Uh, see? I'm a, I'm a yeah. parent here. I'm thinking, I mean, that's 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 an aspect, and I mean again, you, you you've got to realize what you are doing by adding them as a authorized user. Again, it may differ from from bank to bank, from issuer to issuer, but um, there may be some consequences, and and I think everyone needs to understand what those consequences are. This is Money Talks. Between your calls, we're talking about credit cards today. We got another caller on the line. Next, we'll go and invite Chris into the conversation. Good morning, Chris. What do you have for us? Hey, good morning. So I have a question about uh, balance transfers. So I, one of my 2023 financial goals is to eradicate my credit card debt, get to that fresh start that you all are talking about. And I recently had to almost practically last year get close to maxing out one of my credit cards for some dental work that was necessary. 
and I'm having trouble paying more than just the minimum payment. Mm. So I got an offer in the mail for a 0% interest APR for 21 months on balance transfers. I thought, well, let me apply to that card. I can transfer my balance, and then my, my monthly payments will go further to eradicating that debt. But the credit limit that I was approved for on that new card was only about half of my total outstanding balance on my current card. Mm. So I'm curious if the balance transfer is still worth it at that 0% interest and just transferring half the balance from my current card, or if I should just continue trying to make more than the minimal payment on the card that I have right now. My interest is setting about 25%. So it's really, really, uh, yeah, it's really difficult. Uh, yeah, Chris, so that's an interesting thing. And I was kind of writing down uh, questions people need to be asking themselves when they're looking at a balance transfer and you hit one of them, on, uh, hit that nail on the head with the credit limit. So your credit limit, they you could transfer half of it. I do think, uh, I don't know the uh, dollar amount, but my guess is that moving from 25% to 0%, even just on half of it, is going to be worth it. What you often have always watch out for this what you often have on balance transfer cards is a fee and that could be either a percentage or a flat dollar rate so that can make it a flat dollar rate can make it less worth it for small balances say you're transferring a thousand dollars and they want to charge a hundred dollar fee for that well that's all of a sudden a ten percent charge and maybe that zero percent financing is a little less attractive um, in your case, what kind of sounds like a strategy to me is you've got 21 months of 0% interest. Transfer over, make the minimum payment on the free one, and really hit the other one as hard as possible. But but uh, the, the kind of next level thing to do here as well is um, check with your current card and see if you can get your credit limit raised. Uh, get it right without having them do a hard pull would be ideal. Uh, but just credit card companies will often, if you've been a good customer, raise your credit limit. And you've got a perfectly valid reason for wanting your credit limit raised. You can say, well, I had to max it out for some emergency dental procedures. I just, I'm uncomfortable carrying such a high balance. I would like a little bit of wiggle room. I think it helped my credit score. They should be sympathetic to that sort of argument, depending on the company. Once you have that higher limit, you can turn around and then show the balance transfer company, hey, I actually have a higher limit elsewhere. Why don't you offer, say you've say you've got $5,000 on one card, why don't you offer $5,000 balance as well? Maybe they're not going to offer you the whole thing, but that might be a way to get that raised. Um, they may also be willing to raise it once you've transferred some money over. And again, look at one, how long that intro period is, how long you have to transfer money over, and two, if there's any, again, additional fees, maybe the first transfer is free, maybe the second transfer is $100, I don't know. They can, they make up the terms to these. They're not, they're not super standardized like a mortgage or something. So uh, you've looked at a lot of the aspects. Uh, you've caught some of them. There's definitely some ways you can play that, though. I think on that offer for the balance transfer, it's very important for you to look at the details. Mm. Find out what is the percentage charge that they're going to hit you with 
for the balance transfer typical is around 3%, could be higher. It is. And you need to, yes, factor that in. Also, read the fine print as far as what they expect each month in a payment. Sometimes there's a minimum payment. If you don't make that minimum payment, then that 0% disappears and that goes to their variable rate, which is often higher than what you're currently paying on that other card. Um, So watch for that. And I like Ryder's idea of using this as a relief valve. Whatever is the minimum payment on the the balance transfer at 0%, you have 21 months to really knock down the other high interest card. And that's a strategy that you can use. Also, look at if you've gotten this offer from one company, go ahead and proceed with it. I agree that moving half is still probably beneficial for you. You may get other offers along the way that you can do the same thing. So be careful. But the other thing I always say to people with balance transfers, mark your calendar. Don't let yourself go one day beyond their offer or you're going to get hit with big charges. Gotcha. Okay. Thank Good you luck. for the insight. Looks like I've got some research. <laughs> some phone calls to make. There you go. All right, uh, Chris, thanks for the call. Good call there. Uh, good luck with that. And I'd like to just uh, re- reinforce what Nancy said because my um, history with balance transfers, I, I did pay attention to that. When the offer runs out, a lot of times the company, will, if you've not paid off the balance, will say, all right, well, you owe us all the back interest that exactly. you would have paid. Yes. So mm-hmm. good yep. point there to make right. sure that, you, uh, that you've that uh, you pay attention to, to when the, the, uh, the offer expires. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. On Money Talks, we're always looking for your personal finance questions. You can email money at mpbonline.org. In between your phone calls, though, we are talking about credit cards. And just a quick review, some of the uh, terms that we've kind of thrown out there already. Credit limit is the maximum amount of money you can borrow on your credit card. The billing cycle is the amount of time between the last statement, closing date, and the next that gives you uh, – that factors in when your payment is due. And then the APR is the annual percentage rate, the interest rate you're charged. And we said sometimes fixed, sometimes variable. And, uh, Nancy, the variable rates are usually tied to what? Oh, they can be tied to all kinds of things, but uh, just general rates, uh, they usually use – what is the standard the, one? The prime rate. The prime rate. Um, and some some number of points above that. Um, and, of course, it's all – A gonna, large number of points above that. A large number of points above that. And the rate you're going to get is going to be dependent on your credit score. Mm-hmm. And so the better your credit score – the lower that rate that credit card company is going to charge you because they're competing for your business. And remember, every credit card company, whether you pay off that balance every month or not, they're making money every time that card is swiped. So that retailer is going to take a haircut somewhere in the range of around 3% just for that purchase. So they want you to purchase and use their card, which is why they offer rewards, all kinds of extra cash back, everything to get you to swipe that card. But um, even then, um, even with good credit and even when you're paying it off, they're making money. Which um, you, you said the thing about the, the a lot of small businesses I've noticed these days are giving a separate price for yes. cash or credit. Yes. And then I again, just saw it yesterday on on actually on a billboard of, of just two different 
um, prices depending on whether you're going to pay cash or card. And uh, certainly have a local restaurant I go to, and they will ask you, are you going to pay by card or are you going to pay by cash? And that makes a difference. And they will just slap on that 3% charge if it's a card. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about rewards programs. Uh, by the way, we're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. In fact, before we jump into rewards on a credit card program, we've got another caller on the line. So we say good morning to Mike and Hernando. Mike, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, you guys. I got a question. I have two credit cards from two major companies. The combined uh, amount of money that I owe between the two of them is close to 10000 Is there uh, – would you – would you suggest or is it a good idea to consolidate credit card debt under one payment? And is that possible through a third company or can I contact one of them and get both of them put on one card? Oh, well, consolidation loans, that's a whole different ball game. And um, one caution with combining and possibly closing out an account, it may hurt your credit score if you've mm-hmm. had a card that you've used for a long period of time. Um you know, instead, you might want to just talk to each of them. First, uh, go back and find out what is the interest rate being charged on each one, which one is the lower uh-huh. one. See if you can't get the other card to lower and match mm-hmm. that, first of all. And um, and then is is the payment every month, is it more than you can manage at this time? No, it's not. But uh, both cards have exceeded their credit limit by mm. several hundred dollars. And one of the companies said they would not uh, increase my uh, credit card limit. Mm. You know, they wouldn't increase it because of that. And so I'm thinking maybe a consolidation type thing. Yeah. So if you've exceeded the limit and neither of them will increase the limit that you have, then you, if you wanted to consolidate or get it into one payment, then you would need some sort of outside source of money. I will point out, though, just getting it down to one payment does not mean you're saving money. Uh, if you can get it down to a fixed payment and a fixed payment that is a lower interest rate than you are currently getting – that's going to save you money. But don't fall into the trap of, oh, I just need a consolidation loan and turn two cards that are 15% interest into one that's 25% interest. Like, that's just that's just going to be worse. Uh, so ah. it, it sounds like you've already done some of the calling and asking and negotiating. I always mm-hmm. say that credit cards, because they are unique products, the bank issues them, makes up their own terms and everything, they are often right. a little more negotiable. You can call them and ask them for a lower interest rate. You can call them and ask them for a higher credit uh, uh, credit limit. One thing... Right, which I did. Which yeah, I did, and they said and so no. that didn't work. Possibly, did you offer to uh, transfer another balance to you if they would... Because that may be something. They may be willing to give you a lower rate or give you a higher <laughs> limit uh, if you transfer a balance over, because again, that's bringing them more business. Mike, do you? Oh, if I uh, explain that again, if I transfer one of the debts yeah. to the other card, is that what you're saying? So again, you called them to ask for a favor. So you have something you can bring to the table too, and that's the other card and all of the money you're paying the other company. So you can say to them, oh. and, and they can look at your credit report. They know that card's out there, uh, but they're not going to yeah. say, they're not going to say, hey, bud, if you transfer this over, we'll give you something better. But you can say, hi, oh. look, I'm, I'm really just trying to focus on paying this down. Uh, if I move over another $5,000 for my other card and exclusively use this card, are you willing to give, could I get a better rate 
Could I get better terms, et cetera? And so that could potentially put you oh. in a better situation. Yeah, you want to bring everything to the table. I mean, you can see right. there's, no, there's no point in just asking for something and, and not thinking what all tools you have in your, in your toolbox. Mike, do you own a home? Well, yeah. Do you own a home? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so here's a strategy. You have to be very careful with this strategy which is um, to use the equity in your house to pay off credit card debt. Now, the problem with doing that, we always caution people. You're moving from unsecured to secure. I know that. So (laughs) um, your credit card debt is unsecured. So if you don't make those payments, nobody can show up and take the stuff that you bought with it. It's unsecured. They're going to make you return the food you've already eaten. No, they won't. But if you don't make payments on a home uh, equity line of credit or on your mortgage, you can lose your home. So that's always the right. caution. If you're going to do this, it has to be with a, with some discipline and understanding. You know, you described you had some dental issues. That sounds like one time very expensive things you may not um, have recur. And so to use that line of credit so it's a lot easier to get a line of credit against a home that you've owned for an extended period uh-huh. of time. Usually the rates are going to be less than the credit card, but you have to be very disciplined about making sure you make those payments. Would you, if I, you or I, would you go to my bank that um, I currently have an account, would, would it be wise for me to go to my bank and sit with a loan advisor and talk to them about this kind of thing, doing this sort of thing? Yes. And what they're going to do is, uh, of course, they're going to pull your credit record, but they're also going to look at your home, the value of your home, what you have left owing on it to see if there's any room for any sort of line of credit against the house. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But be careful. Uh, That's going to be be very helpful. I will. I know I'm cautious because I'm frightened of doing this anyway. And that's why I was asking the question. Well, what will happen, I guarantee you on the front end, is you're going to get a lot lower interest rate on a home equity line of credit, a HELOC loan, versus what you're experiencing on your credit cards. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Hey, well, thank you for your help. I'll explore further. Good luck. Thanks, Mike. One other thing I would say, too, with the discipline, Nancy, is that if you do that HELOC and you pay off your credit cards, you've got to be very careful not to go ahead and think, oh, gosh, now I've got spending yeah, room on a credit card. and, and run them back right. up again. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what I see people doing. So we'll stay on the phone lines, and uh, we're in Jackson for the call from Charles. Good morning, Charles. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, you know, my statement is about inflation and the Federal Reserve and you know, I, I listen to the Federal Reserve, and they talk about we're going to curb inflation by raising the interest, you know, raising the, the borrowing rate for, for the, the, the rate for that banks can get money mm-hmm. from the government, those kinds of things. And and, and, I, and would, would you all straighten people out? About, but let me share with my thoughts of that, that, that inflation is caused by prices increasing goods and services. Mm-hmm. And and those are and those are companies that are doing that, not the government. Those are companies that's deciding to raise it, raise their, their prices for various reasons. <clears throat> we look at the oil companies. I, I think one company earned like fifty one billion dollars, which is like doubling their profits from the same period last year. So, so the Federal Reserve said we're going to raise interest rates to curve inflation. Well, the the, in, the increased prices that. Across the economy is draining the money that people have to spend, especially if you're living from paycheck to paycheck. You don't have so many dollars to spend. So, 
inflation that increase in prices on are, are, are is draining those dollars and you having to do it less because you're paying more for for items. But then the Federal Reserve turns back around and they cause inflation by increasing interest rates that now is going to push up other prices, the prices in the past that had, had not increased because of interest. They're interest sensitive. So now we come in and the Federal Reserve increases interest rates. And so now all products, goods and services, to a great extent, the prices have, have gone up. So now the, the money that people have to spend has been drained out faster and faster. So inflation goes down because people don't have money to spend. Mm-hmm. So, but, but some people be thinking that the Federal Reserve is some mystical thing that's taking place. But for me, and you'll tell me get, if I'm off base here, it's just interest rate increases just another inflationary price, another inflationary item that's drawing money out of the economy faster. But anyway, I will shut up and listen. Yeah, so that's an interesting. So there's two. I I, I think I I want to branch out two big different thoughts there. One is people. Uh, this is this is not an uncommon thing to read about the that interest rates. Increasing interest rates leads to inflation on its own because, for instance, on the on the federal government level, uh, higher interest payments on debt means more spending, which means there's more inflation. Uh, on a consumer level, it means we're spending more on 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 something. Uh, on a consumer level, I think it actually does. Uh, reduce inflation because if you have to pay more on interest, then you have less money to spend elsewhere. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a good thing, a good way to lower inflation, but that's just one of the dynamics there. If you do have variable interest, if you do have a large amount of consumer debt, although like we pointed out at the top of the show, consumer debt is, uh, again, consumer debt service is pretty low, uh, for households right now. So that's, it's not a huge, huge, huge factor. Um, on the government level, we issue debt up to 30 years at a, you know, 30 years out. So a higher interest rate only impacts the newly issued debts and any variable rate of debts, which are, uh, really limited term debts, uh, so that's that's not going to be. It's a very it's it's possible. It's it's that is a that is a mechanism, but it's very limited there. And I think Nancy's got well, the other side it, of the coin. You know, the consumers are making decisions about home loans because in, uh, mortgage rates have gone up. About uh, buying cars. Uh, about credit card usage because of those interest rates going up. But corporations are also Mm. making decisions based on the price of money. And so as those rates go up, expansion of business, business takes on loans to be able to expand, pay their employees, do all those things, then the cost of that goes up. And they're going to be pulling back on that activity because of that cost. They're going to have to make a decision about what projects they take on because of the cost of that money or that capital. And what we saw over the last previous 10 years when money was so cheap that there really wasn't much of a cost for failure. So a business could just jump out there, take on loans because money was so cheap. The cost of failure was really small. That's going up. And so what that is doing is causing business to 
pull back on some of that activity. We're waiting to see how that flows through. The adjustment of interest rates, which is the only thing the Federal Reserve has, it's the only tool in their toolbox. It's a bit like a sledgehammer. It's not very precise. Um, The hope is that we start pulling back on our expenditures, and we're starting to see that in some areas. But we still are starting to see um, inflation being kind of sticky in a broad array of areas. And so they're going to continue to raise those rates because that's the only thing they can do to keep it in check. All right, uh, Charles, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Go ahead, Nancy. Kevin, I just wanted to add one more thing about the discussion of the Federal Reserve and interest rates, Um, and that is that those rises in interest rates have a lag effect. So it usually takes about nine months after they've raised rates for it to really filter through the overall economy. Mm. So I, I think we'll see more slowing in the future. Uh, we'll wrap up our discussion on credit cards, talking a little bit about rewards programs. It's where you earn a certain number of points based on dollars spent. Uh, the value of the points differs based on the kind of purchase you make, and how you earn or redeem points varies based on the credit card. So a quick opinion from both of you on reward programs. Do you like mm. them, Ryder? Uh, yeah, I think they're, they're big, they're a big reason why we use credit cards. I, the security and, and safety in using somebody else's money is important, but the rewards, like Nancy said, it keeps us coming back to the well. Uh, rewards in general, I like the cash back awards, and that's an easy way to understand rewards. Essentially, for every dollar you spend, the credit card company is already making a couple of cents. They have to share that with a lot of different players, but, and so they're giving you, say, a penny back for every dollar you spend, or, or sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's a quarter of a cent or half a cent, sometimes it's a little more. More, penny and a half, two cents. Uh, but essentially, with cash back, you just you just get a balance, and you can use it to pay your credit card, or you can get a check. Uh, but there's some other rewards which may offer you know, a Disney cruise. I don't know. Well, now, Nancy, you have taken advantage of several reward cards. Yes, you know, Ryder loves the cash back. I love gift cards. And so... It's the same thing, Nancy. I know, but it's just so much fun when I see those points and I can choose my gift cards and they show up in the mail and I stick them in my wallet and I go shopping to the places I normally would spend money anyway. So it just feels like free at and that our, point. our next show, we'll talk about the fungibility of money, and Nancy's going <laughs> to really open her eyes here. But I do have one card that I, uh, I pay an annual fee on. I don't usually recommend people pay mm. annual fees on their credit cards. Um, it's got to have some good rewards. Awesome. Well, What's it got you? This one has, uh, I, I can check baggage free through Delta. Oh, nice and one. so if I'm traveling, yeah. and I know I'm traveling enough during a year, my annual charge is $95. That's a typical charge. You can see them much higher than that. Mm-hmm. But make sure if you have an annual fee on a card that it's really worth it right. to you, that you're getting some value. On my Amazon card, I get free shipping. I get all kinds of free uh, video content. And so for me, it's worth it. Every time I take those quizzes, I find, yeah, I'll pay that. (laughs) All right. We've got uh, Diane on the line from Starkville. Pressed for time, so if you could be brief. Okay. You can tell my age by my comment. I'm wondering, why don't people pay off their card and save up money and buy it, not pay extra for whatever they want to buy. We, we save for everything we need mm. to get. 
Sure, yeah. Some people can't afford to pay off the whole credit card. Uh, credit cards are a great tool. We spoke with somebody earlier today who had a dental emergency, and he did not have the money already saved up, but he did have a credit limit, which allowed him to get probably some, I'm not going to say life-saving, but some pretty important work done, some pretty important medical work done. Uh, yes, that led him to uh, getting in debt. Debt is a tool. Getting a loan is a tool. It allows us to do things like buy houses, buy cars that we could otherwise not afford cars to get to the work that get to pay for that thing. So it's just a way of moving money from the future into the present while saving is moving money from the present into the future. They're both perfectly acceptable things to do. Obviously, yes, saving up your money, you will incur less interest charges in the future. But again, it's a tool that's... Uh, and we're that humans. Can, we're can humans. Help. Yes. We do not like to delay gratification. Also, so. some people, yes, there are plenty of people, uh, maybe more to your point, there are plenty of people who just overspend and there are companies willing to help them overspend for a price. All right. uh, Thanks for the phone call. We on this program try to help you uh, avoid overspending with some of the topics that we uh, discuss. Hey, if you uh, have something that you'd like to hear us talk about on Money Talks, you can always send us an email to money at mpbonline.org, and we'll try to work it into a future show. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. You can listen back to this or any episode at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. All local MPB Think Radio programs are also available as podcasts, and our podcast producer for Money Talks is Jermaine Flood. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us Tuesdays at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.